Last week we talked about how grace breaks the power of the curse and how the curse, how cursed homes have these uh, sort of, matter of fact, if you just go to Genesis 3 with me real quick, I'll, I'll review and show you. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam did some very specific things because of sin that, that now dwell in almost every home you know, and it's been a part of my home. I've been saved since I was in the second grade, and I let it slip into my home. And in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned, the Lord comes to him in the cool of the garden, chapter 3, verse 8, and, uh, and he uh, looks for him, and when he can't find him, the Lord called out to Adam. Now, Adam and Eve are dressed in mossy fig camo, and they're hiding in a bush, and they're trying to, trying to not be caught by God. And God says, Adam, where are you? Do you think God doesn't know where he is? Created the garden, created the earth, created the universe, created the man, created the bush, <laughs> created the dirt that he's standing on. He knows right where he is. God asks us questions to, to get us to learn, to teach us things. He, he asks questions to teach us. God knew exactly where Adam was, and he wanted Adam to know you're not where you belong. We normally walk together right here down this path, Adam. Why are you not in the path? Well, because I'm hiding. And so God figures out he's hiding. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was afraid I was naked. So I hid myself. And so hiding is one of those cursed behaviors. When we build walls, they built a wall between each other with, uh, with uh, fig leaves. They literally put clothing on to stop being transparent and vulnerable to each other. And then they built the wall between them and God by going and getting in a bush saying, you'll never see me here. Right? That was, their, that was their hiding moment, and sin makes us hide. And hiding's part of the curse. When you can't bring it out into the open, you're living in a cursed reality, not a grace reality. You're not trusting God. You're trying to handle it yourself. That's what Adam's doing. He's got this all worked out now. We're going to hide in the bush till God goes away, and we'll be okay. No, you're not, because God's bigger than all that. And God seeks him out in, in grace. God comes to them in the garden, and he asks Adam this question, verse 10. He says, who told you you were naked, and have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? When God asked Adam, have you eaten from the tree, he should have said, yeah, the southern version would be, yes, sir, please don't kill me. That's the southern version. Yes, sir, please don't kill me because you said we would die. Yes, sir, please don't kill me. That is not what Adam says. Because he is under sin now, and sin brings on this curse in our lives and our families. And under sin, Adam says, the woman you gave me, it's her deal. And by the way, you made her, so why don't y'all work that out together? Ain't on me. So part of the cursed behavior in our family lifestyle is we begin to live in sin, hide from God and hide from each other, even our little secret sins. It doesn't have to be something big and grandiose. Just little secret sins. We hide them, and then all of a sudden we live this lifestyle of cursing, of shaming and blaming one another. Uh, we talked about this last week so that you could uh, really understand uh, kind of how... <laughs> I want you guys to understand how the cursed life looks versus the grace life. Cursed life, homes bring shaming instead of respect and blaming instead of forgiveness and walls instead of transparency. And on top of that, I wanted to add these to you today because there's three, three more behaviors, there's three more lifestyle behaviors and lifestyle traits that you can have with your grace-filled home. So there's these four traits, these four lifestyles that 
if you live this out in your life, you're actually living like the garden of Eden, not like the cursed fallen uh, garden and the, the, the fallen place. And I just want to show you the difference in that. This is kind of the original design. It's how God expected it to work. And then Adam and Eve messed up. They, they, they listened to the serpent. They got deceived. And Eve got deceived. And Adam just willfully, stupidly sinned. And I believe when we all get to heaven, we get one free slap toward Adam for that because it brought sin nature into our lives. Oh, and I forgot to tell you, um, speaking of uh, wonderful things, this is our family series. And because we were having a family series, I talked to my son, Caleb, and his uh, wife, Ashley. And I said, hey, we're going to have a family series coming up in March. Could y'all have a baby by then? So we can do that. So I'll just give you a little update on Everett. Uh, this is a little Everett, Everett Lee Givens. Born last Friday, so we're thrilled to death with him. Grandpa is really, 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 really happy to be holding him. And just in case you're wondering who he's going to look like when he gets older, his mom or his dad, he's going to look just like his dad. Because that's his dad a few months old, and that's Everly day one. So he's already got the Gibbons big goofy forehead and, and uh, the little goofy eyes. And so God bless him. He looks just like his daddy, doesn't he? Everett Lee. Y'all pray for them as they're uh, learning new baby things and figuring out lots of diapers and <laughs> fun stuff and uh, how babies don't like sleep and at night and they like sleeping in the daytime. So, But I told him, man, if you could just have a baby for our family, so it would be a perfect illustration. And see how good that worked out for me? So <laughs> should have thought of that years ago. But this is how God, the, the, the stuff we're going to study is how God expects us to live in our lives now, it's how he created the garden to work, and, and there's four elements of it. You're going to see these on your handout. The first one is to subdue the earth. We were called by God in Genesis to subdue the earth. I'll just read you the passage real quick. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and then he said, rule over all the sea and the birds and the sky and living things that move on the earth. Just rule over everything. Subdue the earth. You read that in Bible college, and you go through all these years of life thinking, okay, Adam and Eve lived in the garden, and they're supposed to subdue the earth. That means they're supposed to be good gardeners, you know, good farmers, just take care of the earth that God had given them. That is not what it means. It means that everything that's on the earth is to be subdued by us, right? To be put under us, not above us or equal to us. And so as the world changed, most of you don't just garden for a living. As a matter of fact, I'm looking around. Does anybody here for a living garden? I mean, it's all you do to make money is garden. So Caleb Howell's not here, so we're good, right? None of us do this. So you're going, well, I can't subdue the earth. Oh, my goodness, that's the problem. Okay, Everything, the earth is everything. When we read this, we think there's a garden mindset, but it's actually about everything on the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Do you know that everything that's here on the earth that's good came from God? Everything. I have a really good seagull guitar over here. Man, I love that guitar. You have no idea the affection I have for my guitar, right? I love my guitar, and it's from God. It was given by God. God taught somebody one day how to take what they said eventually was cat guts, string it over a wooden box and make it make sound, right? That's from God. 
right? I have a really nice bow in my office, or actually I have a nice bow at home and a recurve in my office. I love shooting compound bows and recurve bows. Those are from God. Those are cool things, and they're from God. And I'm supposed to subdue them, by the way, not let them rule over me, but me rule over them. I have a really nice F-150 truck, 346,000 miles on the original engine. I probably just mojoed myself right into it, not starting today, but... That baby, that baby just goes forever. It's an awesome truck, right? That's a gift from God. And I'm supposed to subdue everything on this earth. Here's the problem. A lot of times we let electronics or computers or anything get in the way. And all of a sudden, whether it's, it's, it's becoming a part of our control, we have secular wants that we want. And, and we think our spouses and these things are going to provide for us. And they're not. And we flip them upside down and make them so important that they're not subdued anymore. They're not under the rule of the earth. They're over us. And whether it's a career, whatever you're looking for, God doesn't want to let anything on earth be in control of you. Not Satan, not your wants, not your spouses, not your cell phone or your money or your fame. Oh my gosh, how many people let their cell phones control their lives these days or their electronics? But we're subdue all the earth. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. If you mark things in your Bible, highly recommend you physically underline this verse. 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. The things in the world. Here's how you can mess up your home life and get it out of Garden of Eden grace into curse. Love something of this world more than you love God. And I mean anything. There was a time when I was in love with... Bill's back there working with the, the offerings you gave, so he's probably can just hear me, but there was a time when I loved my car at this church. I was a teenager in this church, and I loved my Mustang more than I loved anything, anybody or anything. I'm not even sure my mom compared to how much I loved that little car. And God had to rob it from me. And get, By the way, I was going to Bible college to be a pastor, to teach people how to love Jesus and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I was loving my car with all its heart, soul, mind, and strength, and wallet. And God went, well, I'm going to show you how that doesn't work. Any fire tower road and the sharp curve in fire tower road solved all that real quick. It wasn't a treasure anymore. It was a disaster. And God had to take it away from me to teach me, don't love things. Things aren't important. I'm the highest and most important. And you need to subdue the things. Do not love the world, the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, not from the Father, but from this world. The world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God will live forever. When an adult lives with material things or prosperity, a prosperity lifestyle, like I got to have this, and if, if that's a predominant goal, if the things of this earth become a predominant goal to you, you are cursing your family and yourself. I promise you, you are. You are damaging everything. I'm not saying it's not nice to want nice things. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to like nice things. I'm saying if that becomes your passionate pursuit pursuit, and you can't let go of it, it's more important to you that you have a really nice piece of furniture, a really nice house, or a really nice car. Or really, what it, If you can't let go of it, you are living under a curse, and you're not subduing the earth. The, the original intent of God was for us as creation to live above all of that. And you know what God calls the Christians in the New Testament to do? Let go of everything. Let go of everything. If you, have to, if you have two cloaks, give them away. If 
Bible says just let go of everything. It's a huge problem in our American culture because we love to be comfortable and we often make things the most important. So the challenge is that the world has great power and influence over us and we got to be careful not to let it influence us. We have to love God more than the world. You want to overcome habitual sin? I'm not talking about, it, it may be addictive sins like some of us struggle with, but there may be some tiny little habitual nagging sin that's been with you all your life and you just, it's, it's that secret sin that stays in the closet and uh, it just never, ever, you never can get a handle on it. You want to overcome it? Tell yourself this. I had to come to this place. I, I, actually, God had to explain this to me. God told me at one point, you love that sin more than you love me. No, Lord, I don't. I love you so much, it's ridiculous, Lord. I mean, I'm passionately in love with you. Then you wouldn't be doing something that's hurting yourself because I love you more than that sin. I love you enough to pay for it, but you love the sin more than you love me. And it, became a, it becomes an idol to us. If we will love it more than Christ, we're in trouble, and we're not living the garden, freedom of the garden out like we're supposed to. So we have to love Christ more than our sins. The reason I keep sinning habitually is because I, don't, I love the sin more than I love Christ. That's called idolatry. And by the way, you can really mess up a family by getting your value system wrong. If you tell your children, hey, mom and dad love Jesus. Jesus is the most important thing to us. And then you drag them all over the world or wherever trying to build a career on money, you're teaching your children, we love God, but we also love money. We love stuff. and We love our own comforts more than we love Christ. And if you put your career at this highest level of your life, your kids can see that. It's not a family of grace at that point. It's a cursed family. It's a cursed family. So we need to subdue the earth. And then secondly, we need to submit to one another. Submit to one another. Got a room full of ladies. I'm fixing to read a verse that's going to rattle us all here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. We'll start way back at verse 15. And you really should keep up with all of these verses in here. Be very careful, Paul says, how you live. Not as unwise, but wise. What does wise living look like? Well, you make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Secondly, you're not foolish, but you understand what the Lord's will is. And you, verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You sing, you make music in your heart, and give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, most people love verse 22. Most men love verse 22. They skip verse 21. Shame on us. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the next verse says, wives, submit to your husbands, right? And then the wives always go, yeah, but the next verse says, husbands, love your wives, right? You got to slam them back. Got to get that verse in and just punch them with the word, right? So, but we're not, everybody's missing the point. The whole point is the verse before all that. We live filled with the Spirit and wives filled with the Spirit, and then we submit to one another. The Garden of Eden was not about rulership of Adam over Eve or anybody over anybody except God over everything. We were to submit to one another. Submission was part of the original intent. And I want to just put this. Mutual submission is how God intended us to live. Mutual submission. 
It means we consider every person's opinions and thoughts. We talk things out. We listen carefully to each other. And we have a mutually submitted relationship together. It's how everything works better when people are mutually submitted and there's not one person lording their authority or their rulership over another person. It's not supposed to be that way in the kingdom of God, in the will of God, in the plan of God. I'll prove it to you in verse Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus called them to himself and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the world, lord their authority over them. Their rulership is lorded over them. And great men exercise authority. It's not that way among us. Jesus looking at his disciples going, That is not how we who follow Christ should ever live in lordship and rulership and great powerful beings like that. It's not that way among you. Whoever wishes to become the greatest among you has to be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man didn't come to serve, but to be served. We're supposed to serve one another and submit to one another. It's why Jesus, the holiest one of all, got down on his knees in front of 12 disciples. That would be Peter, James, John, Matthew, Bartholomew, Philip, Andrew, all of them, including Judas, took their sandals off and washed the dirty, crusty sand out of their feet and cleaned up their feet for them because he was their servant. Was he the greatest one of all? Absolutely. Was he sitting at a table of men when that happened that were arguing over who was the greatest? Yep. And did he just show them what greatness looked like? Yep. It wasn't lording. It wasn't, hey, let me prove my authority to you by beating you all senseless because you're stupid. It wasn't judging. He just went, hey, here's what servanthood looks like. Guys, I'm trying to get this through your head. Servants don't lord their authority. They're submitted to one another. So I'm going to submit to your feet and wash the dirt out of your feet. If you want your home to be filled with grace, not the curse, not the law. Law brings death. You have to submit to one another. Husbands and wives, moms and dads, children to parents, parents to children. You have to submit to one another. We talked about it last week. You have to recognize the weaknesses of your children. Don't judge your children when they do something stupid like you've never done something stupid. That's the dumbest thing in the world. Y'all have all done stupid stuff, haven't you? Raise your hand if you've done stupid stuff in your life. And then we look at our kids like, what's wrong with you? Are you stupid? Well, yeah. I learned it from y'all. <laughs> But we judge them. We, 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 we condemn our kids like we're not stupid. you got to identify with them. Christ identified with our weaknesses. He was a high priest that got identified with our weaknesses. He's like, hey, I'm going to work you through. I'm going to help you through this and just acknowledge that we're all stupid. And your dad was stupid. Now you're stupid. I'm sorry. We're going to work through this. Little Everett's going to do stupid stuff, and we're going to grace him through all of that. Amen? Amen. So Genesis chapter 3 Gives a little snippet of submission issue here. Genesis 3.16, where the Lord is giving the curse out, God's giving the curse out to the to Adam and Eve. He says to the woman, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Call my daughter-in-law Ashley and ask her about that. She'll explain it to you. Uh, uh, with pains and give, giving birth to children. And then he says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The, the concept that is being expressed by God there is you're going to want your husband to be a certain thing. He ain't ever going to get there. He ain't ever going to be that. You know what Jesus is trying to help us understand as he teaches us beyond the curse 
I'm your sufficiency for everything. Stop looking to a spouse to be everything you need. Stop looking to them to satisfy needs that God alone can satisfy. And if your spouse doesn't satisfy them, you don't blame them, shame them, condemn them, and build a wall around them or between you and them. You reach into their lives with submitted grace and love and say, hey, we need to work this out together. I'm hurting. I'm hurting, right? That's healthy relationships. And it comes out of submitting to one another. And then it ultimately comes out of ultimate surrender to God. Our third point this morning is to surrender to God. Couples come to my office for counseling occasionally. And they'll be in a mess, uh, just a big mess. Uh, and I've got some couples from other churches that come in here all the time. Matter of fact, I met somebody yesterday that's going to bring his wife in and, and uh, just met him in the out and about yesterday. And when they come in, I, they're having some sort of, you know, we're, we're not getting along good enough to survive. So we got to have some help from a strange bald fat guy. We're just going to ask him for advice. And so that's bad when you got to go that length. And so they sit in my office and, and, uh, always, you know, I always go, how much is your counseling? I went, well, it's free because it's, you know, it's the Bible <laughs> and you could read it yourself, but I'll help you. Um, it's just free. So, so they sit down and, and we, and I begin to work through it. A lot of times we'll do this. I'll say, Look, if you could just take this piece of paper and you take this piece of paper, don't cheat off each other. I'd like you to make a list of things that would make your life together better right here. If in the next five minutes we could change something, give me a list of five. Give me a list of five things that could change and make your life better. You know what her list always has on it as the thing that would change that would make better? Him. He needs to do this. He needs to do that. If he would do this, then we would be better. He would pay attention to our finances more. Our family would be better. If he would go to church more, our family would be better. You know what his list always looks like? Yeah. If she would, that is not surrendered behavior. That is causing, that is taking someone, it's literally taking this whole concept that I've been teaching all morning. It's not subduing the earth. It's taking someone God's given you as a gift, husband or wife, and saying you have to perform a certain way to make me satisfied. And Jesus is telling us all through the Bible, I'm the one that gives peace, satisfaction, joy, hope, strength, courage, and help. I'm the source of what you're looking for. If you're trying to draw it out of them, you're going to suck the life out of them doing it. Does that make sense? You can't suck the life out of somebody else. And so when people give me those lists and I pass them back in, I go, all right, now here's a question. I wad them up my thumb way. What if he never does all that? And what if she never does all that? Are y'all done? Because that's the dumbest thing in the world. If you think if you think controlling somebody's behavior is going to make you feel better, it's not. That's unsubmitted, unsurrendered, and unsubdued behavior. It's pre-garden. It's it's post-garden. It's just cursed behavior. Saying I'm demanding of you that you make me better, and you fix me, and you help me. That's so unhealthy. And everybody in this room's done. So don't look at me like you. You know, don't don't even look like you feel guilty about it because we all do it. It's unhealthy for us, though. We got to break the curse in our homes to do that. We can't draw life and energy from one another. We have to draw life from Christ. We have to draw life from Christ. Luke chapter nine. Jesus was saying to them all, "If anyone wishes to come after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me." Whoever wishes to save his life and he will lose it, shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake is the one who will save it. Our camp t-shirts this summer 
a little prelude to our camp. Our camp t-shirts this summer are going to say, Ask Me How I Lost My Life. That's a great question, isn't it? I'm hoping people witness like crazy off of that t-shirt. Ask Me How I Lost My Life. I gave it away. I gave it to the one who said he'd give me every, everything I ever needed. That's what we're supposed to do is surrender ourselves fully to him. Deny ourselves of everything. Die to ourselves. Take up your crosses. Die to yourself. And fully follow him and surrender. Follow him. Surrendered is the behavior that God intended Adam and Eve to do all along. When they were surrendered to God, the garden went really well, by the way. No thorns, no thistles, nothing hard to grow. Plants just made food for them. Animals were fun to play with and ride and name and have fun with. Life was good. When they flipped it upside down and said, we're not going to surrender to you anymore. We're going to surrender to our will. My will is going to be more important than yours. And my will says I can eat that tree. Even though you said I shouldn't, I'm going to unsurrender myself to you and surrender myself to me now. And, and Eve surrendered herself to the serpent. And when that happened, it messed it all up. And how do we get back there? We have to live fully surrendered. If you want your life to be way closer to Garden of Eden than cursed behavior, you have to go back to the place where you say, I will Live fully surrendered to Christ. Everything, my career, my values, everything. If you're not living a grace-filled, grace-satisfied life, you're counting on others to fill and satisfy you, you will be empty in your heart and your soul all the time. Okay, If you're not living out a grace-satisfied life, you're drawing your hope, your help, your strength, your courage, you're drawing your peace, that passes understanding. You're drawing your happiness and your joy from Christ, which is an endless supply. He is a living well, bubbling forth with streams to offer to us. He'll never end. If you're not drawing your strength from that, then you're not going to have a satisfied life. You're going to find the emptiness all the time, and you're going to be searching. John 15, verse 5, most of you probably know this verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, read the last line to me. Apart from me, you can do. So I can't do anything if I'm not drawing my strength from Christ. He's the, he's the tree and I'm the branch, right? I'm supposed to be drawing my life from him. And when I fail to do that, I'm in huge, huge trouble. 2 Corinthians 12 Paul's praying in 2 Corinthians 12 for God to deliver him from a thorn in the flesh. Nobody really knows what that is. When we get to heaven, we can sort it all out. Lots of theories. But he's praying for God to deliver him, and God goes, nope, not going to do it. You need a, you need a good thorn. You need a good thorn. Wow. You need a good thorn. And he said to me, verse chapter 12, verse 9, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Y'all see that in your Bibles? My grace is sufficient. You should mark that word. My grace is sufficient for my power is perfected in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses so the power of Christ could dwell in me. The word sufficient in, your, in the original language means enough. Grace is enough to carry you through this thorn, Paul, to take you through the hardest times you've ever been through. Grace is enough. It is enough. Grace is all you need. It's all sufficient. It's so good that we can boast in weaknesses. We can say, man, I don't have enough energy to do this. Thank God for grace. 
I can boast in my weakness. I was at the mission yesterday and uh, mission of hope yesterday morning for chapel and I went back for some services they were doing and and I had about five guys come up. We just started talking. I've been ministering to them and, and they just started telling me how the teaching that they get when we we were teaching some of this has really helped them in their home and, and uh, it was just really complimentary. And one guy goes, man, it's like you were just made for this. And I looked at him and I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, I'm the guy that failed public speaking. Hate. I'm so introverted. I hate being up here and y'all all looking this way. If y'all could look that way while I taught, I'd feel so much better, honestly. Just turn around and look backward. Will you help me? Yeah. I hate being this guy. But there's a spiritual gift in me that's from God that I have to do it now. And I've learned, you know, to get over the heebie-jeebies and the willies and all that happens and just teach the word. Let the word be that. But we are, our strength is in Christ. We can boast in our weaknesses. My weakness is public speaking. <laughs> that's my weakness. You know, I'm terrified of all that. Paul says, matter of fact, here's a really cool deal. So grace is enough. I want you to tell, say out loud to me, grace is enough. Grace is all I need. That's what it says. Grace is, my grace is sufficient. There's a step beyond that, though. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Here's what Paul says. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into his service. Even though I was, and here's, his, here's Paul's little elevator testimony that we talk about in our church all the time. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, man, I got a past that would make a woman blush. I did some horrible horrible things. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now here's the phrase, chapter 1, verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. The word means more than sufficient. He doesn't just give you enough. You know what he gives you? Way more than you need. You can't outdo his grace. That's why we have to have grace in our homes. He will give you all the grace you need and we surrender to him to get that grace, we have to surrender to him. Paul says, I have more than enough. Grace is more than abundant for us if we are to uh, live and love and learn about grace, if we fall in love with the cross of Christ, the greatest moment of grace, if we fall in love with the salvation in your Savior, it will fill you all your life up. It will fill you so full, you will never have to suck the life out of another individual. And if you don't, you're always going to be looking for somebody you can suck the life out of. You're always going to be looking for the next guy, the next woman, the next person, the next boss, the next career, the next thing that's going to give me energy in life. But if you find grace, if you find the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the beauty of his cross, if you find that and cling to it with all your might and love him with all your soul and all your strength and all your might, if you will do that, will never hurt another person by trying to suck life out of them. You'll actually be the life giver in the relationship. The life giver. Lastly, we just have to serve one and serve. I'd put serve everybody. I think that the most important thing you can do on the planet is just to serve everybody. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You were called to freedom, freedom from the law and from a set of rules that make you good. So you never be good enough. You were called away from trying to prove yourself to God. You never have to prove yourself to him. That's what Matt Chandler was saying in that 
pre-roll video we did before the sermon. You never have to prove yourself to him. He's not disgusted by our behavior. He's not disappointed he chose you. Right? So we don't have to prove ourselves. We were called to freedom. Don't turn your freedom, though, into an opportunity of the curse or of the flesh. Don't live in the flesh because you're free from all that. But take that freedom and turn it into agape. Turn it into God's love. By love, serve one another. Just everybody you can serve. And I mean everybody. Serve everybody that you can possibly serve. By love, serve one another. When I surrender to Christ, I am safe and fully satisfied. When you surrender to His grace, it means you're safe and secure. Listen, when you surrender to Him, when you really do surrender to Him, your security levels go out the roof, man. You're as secure as you can possibly be. Nobody can ever tell me I'm never going to be loved again. Never. Because I'm loved by the one who loves the greatest and knows the most about me, by the way. He knows everything there is to know about me. The one who is the most significant one in this universe, the most significant one in the universe is Jesus Christ, Son of God, Holy of Holy, worthy worthy we sang today he's worthy of all honor and glory and praise he's worthy of all blessings he calls me significant he made me significant he died so i would be significant the most significant one made me significant man that's worth a little hallelujah amen isn't it come on if i am safe and secure and satisfied in jesus I don't have to shame anybody or blame anybody. I don't have to prove myself to anybody. I don't have to draw life from some other person or control another person. We talk about uh, codependency at some point. I don't have to control another person or please others. If I am significant in Christ and I'm significant to Christ and God and God's at peace with me through the blood of Christ, I can rest comfortably at night and know that Jesus loves me, and I no longer have to pull it out of anybody else. Nobody has to perform for me. Nobody has to perform for you ever again. So the people that you're in relationship with are free. You free them all from any performance trap, from any approval trap. You don't have to meet my approval. Like I told you last week, you can be disappointed in the behavior of your kids. You just don't need to condemn them. You got to ask them to change and you, you say, I love you, and you're hurting me, and I'm just asking you to change, but I don't condemn you because I'm a sinner just like you. I've got just as much stupid genes in me as you got in you. i got just as much sin genes in me as you got in you. I just want us to go to Christ and get help. We run to the throne of grace when we find help in our time of need. So let me give you a couple of quick carryouts. They're real easy. Things you can just take home where you like, like when you're at the restaurant. You just take something home. Take a little bit of stuff home with you today. You should evaluate this week whether you're trying to control other people and find life and joy in other relationships or other things other than Christ. And man, when you if the Lord, if you ask the Lord to point to those, He will. It's painful. I do it on a regular basis. If you ask the Lord to paint point to things in your life that that that's inching up into challenging your relationship with Christ, or maybe even you flipped it over now, if you ask Him to do that, He'll point to them for you. That's what the Holy Spirit's all about in our lives, to point to our sin and help us see it. So ask the Lord, ask the Lord where you're struggling with that, and then just repent. And then surrender to your surrender to God daily. 
daily, every day, give your whole life to God. Say, God, it's all about you, not about me. When you get up in the morning, it's real easy for us in the morning. We get pray, have our first prayers. We give to God this long list of, hey, Lord, here's what I need today, and here's what I'd like. And if you could help me with this, and if you could help my my dad or my husband or my wife or my spouse or whatever, if you could just help, help, help. If you, 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 you could help me, 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 me. And he loves doing that, by the way. He doesn't mind doing all that. But you want to be a great friend to your greatest friend? Wake up in the morning and say, Lord, what can I help you do today? It's just the other way around. And you know all my needs anyway, so what can I help you do today? What would you like me to do on behalf of you today? And you know what he's going to tell you? Love. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Put no idols in front of me. Nothing. Not a phone, not a car, not a not a place to live, not a not a friend. Put nothing in front of me. And everybody you see, love and serve them with agape, with God's love. Pour it out into their lives. Amen.